Well, you may be seated. Uh, Welcome. We are continuing our series, Backstory, and today we're talking about the um, premier kind of figure of uh, conversion and figure of change in the New Testament, and that is the Apostle Paul. He's an incredible, amazing figure um, that that like really dominates in some ways a big part of the New Testament. He is the premier voice. He is this person who traveled around fearlessly, uh, going from church to church, starting churches, mentoring people, helping people out. He would just like endlessly travel, endlessly write. And in the midst of that, he's thrown in prison several times. He's writing from prison and all of these difficulties that he faces, but he continues on. He's an incredible like part of the story in the Bible, starting in Acts chapter 7. And, um, and is definitely the most famous Christian convert. And has probably the most famous backstory of anybody in the Bible. Um, so let me just give you kind of a little bit of context and we'll read some of his backstory. But um, there was... These, uh, the Sanhedrin was a group of the Jewish ruling priests that would kind of govern over Judaism at that time. These are the same people that were involved with and surrounding all of the story of Jesus being put to death. A lot of these figures, we see them in the story of Jesus before he would go and be crucified. There was this group of 71 leaders of the Jewish faith. And they were called the Sanhedrin. It comes from the Old Testament when Moses was instructed by God to appoint people to be judges and help with all of this stuff. So he appointed 70 people and he was the 71st to kind of oversee the, the, the nation of Israel. And to make sure that people followed the law and the commands of God and the Old Testament. And this was really, really important to the people. And so they had this this system, the Sanhedrin. And so these people, over the course of different times and years, had uh, different opinions, different views. And we see them throughout the New Testament encountering Jesus and Jesus encountering them. And ultimately, many of them being involved in Jesus' death. After Jesus rose and uh, left earth and ascended to heaven, um, that this kind of this struggle continues. The Sanhedrin thought that they would like kind of eliminate this kind of um, you know alternate teaching or different way of looking at the scriptures, uh, Jesus's movement, and they thought that the death of Jesus would put an end to that. However, it didn't because we know the followers of Jesus carried on his message. And so we see in the book of Acts that Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 are brought in in front of the Sanhedrin. They're arrested and they're brought in and they're questioned and they're warned. And the, the scripture tells us they're told, stop telling people about Jesus. Stop it. And they say, no, we're not going to do that. And they go back out and they continue it. They're brought back in again in Acts chapter 5. And they're brought back in and they say, we told you to stop it. Stop it. And they don't. And they say, we must follow God, not men. And they continue to preach and proclaim. They were probably considering, uh, you know, continuing to arrest Peter and John and some of the other disciples. But there was some people that spoke up and said, let's just 
Let's just see what happens with this and let them continue. So they were released and Peter and John continued. But then in Acts chapter six, they bring in another figure who was one of the other early leaders in the church. Stephen, who is who is like we talked about Philip last week. Stephen was also like Philip was one of these people that were appointed by the disciples to continue the work of God. And they brought in Stephen and started questioning him and started talking to him. And Stephen uh, stood up and gave this big speech going through the entire Old Testament, talking about all the things that had happened. And they were just like, these are Old Testament people. They knew all these stories. But at the end, he kind of flips it around and he says, and you guys don't get it. You're, you killed the prophets and you didn't recognize Jesus. And he kind of like lays into them at the end of his speech. And so this is what happened next. Did you catch all of that backstory? Okay. Trying to set the context here. Acts chapter seven, um, is, says this Acts chapter seven, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, being heard Stephen's speech and Stephen's criticism, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. I don't know exactly how that works, but my dentist tells me don't do that. I have an, a teeth gnashing problem, and he said, you got to wear a mouthpiece at bed. I'm not wearing a mouthpiece at bed, but anyways. All right. <laughs> but Stephen... Full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so you see, this is the introduction in the story to this character, Saul, who will later become Paul. And you may have heard his conversion story. But it's interesting looking at this context and this time and this season and exactly what is going on. Is that you see that it seems like something in this moment, this is kind of the, the backstory we get for Saul, that something in this moment flipped and switched for Saul. Saul was a faithful 
a Jewish person that was studying under other Jewish leaders and knew the scripture and obviously sided with this Sanhedrin. He was passionate, and many of these people were passionate, obviously, about their feeling that they were convicted, that they were preserving the faith of, you know, from these people. But obviously they missed something. Obviously they missed the heart of God. And he looked at this situation, and he wasn't the one that threw the stones, but he looked at this situation, and it seems to be a life-changing event for him. As he sees this taking place, and he gives his seal of approval, he seems to then take immediate action and say, this is what we have to do. This is how we have to deal with this. And he begins going around, and it says, his mission in life is to destroy the church. That's what it says. He goes and he says, I'm going to destroy, I'm beginning, he begins to destroy the church. And he goes from house to house to drag off both men and women and put them in prison. He became the ringleader of this. Saul becomes the most feared person for all of Christians. He becomes the person at the point of really like strikes fear into all these people that scatters them all over the place because they're afraid for their lives. And they go out and this really in many ways is kind of the beginning of the church spreading beyond Jerusalem. It's one of those ways that it happened because they took off and they left and they began telling people about Jesus beyond Jerusalem. But, you know, it's interesting when we look at his life because Saul is this person that has incredible passion and zeal. And he is convinced that it's directed in the right way. He's convinced that he's doing the right thing in many ways. And, and sometimes we, we maybe look at the backstory of this and say, what a, what a barbaric, murderous person, which, yeah, he was involved in a lot of that. But behind it and in it was this passion to make, to do something, to do something for God. And later on in the story, very quickly in the book of Acts, we see that Jesus appears to Saul and says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul has this transformational experience and all of a sudden believes and everything flips, everything switches, everything is transformed and he... He takes all of that passion and all of that zeal and directs it in another way and becomes the most prominent figure in the New Testament, becomes the person who is starting all these churches and doing all these things. And it's incredible what Paul went through. And he shares with us in the Bible about some of the things he went through. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty one, it says this. It says, would any... One else dares to boast about, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servant of Christ? I am out of my, my mind for talking about this. I am more. What he's saying is, I have all of the background, all of the history. I grew up as a faithful Jewish follower. I grew up following all of these things. I did all of it. And now I'm a follower of Christ and a better one than you. That's what he said. He says he's crazy for saying it, but that's what he says. I am more. And then he says, I've worked harder, been in prison more frequently, 
been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashings minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. Uh, It sounds like Dr. Seuss almost. I mean, he is in danger. (laughs) I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? I do not. Um, and I do not inwardly burn. Um, so he's talking about all of the things that he went through. All of the struggle, all of the pain, all of the things he's willing to endure. And he's looking around and saying, this is what I am willing to give up and know because I believe in Jesus Christ. And I believe in this message. It's pretty interesting because this is, without question, the biggest change story in the history of Christianity. He goes from the persecutor to the persecuted. He goes from the person who is going out and doing all of these things and inflicting it on others, and he becomes the person that goes through these very things and endures it and faces it in an incredible, passionate way. And so in some ways, it's the biggest transformation ever. But in another way, and this is an interesting, interesting little different direction to look at this. In another way, he didn't change. He didn't change. And what I mean by that is the same passion that he was born with. He was the person that was willing to take dramatic action for what he believed. The same passion that he had when he, when he was hauling people off to prison was the same passion he took to win, uh, to, to go to, to all of these lengths and to face all these difficulties to proclaim the message of Christ. All throughout this series, we've been talking about different people's backstory, different people where they came from. And one of the things that the reason we're looking at this is sometimes we think that things in our past disqualify us or sometimes make us, you know, like put us in a place where we can't do anything moving forward. And one of the beautiful things in scripture that we all have to recognize, because we struggle with the sins of our past, we struggle with those things that still creep up, is that that God made you unique. God gave you passions and gifts and talents. God made you somebody that is uniquely qualified to do things for his service. But what happens is, is sin gets in the way of that. And it gets perverted and it gets to a place where, where like it's destructive instead of helpful. That's what sin does. And so what Paul, what Saul was dealing with is he was somebody created with, by God with a unique passion and fire to do things other people couldn't do. 
But because of his sin and because he was misguided and, and going in a different direction, which he admits to in Scripture, it was, it, it was a course for evil and not for good. And sometimes I think that there is this misconception or this misunderstanding that when we come to church or when we come to God, what we should do is kind of like, you know, I used to... I was like that before, and now I have to leave all of that kind of my personality and all of the things I used to be behind and sit in nice, neat rows, dress up, and show up to church and sing songs like everybody else in key. Because now I have to follow this. I have to do this. And what I want to tell you is um, sin is destructive and sin distorts. But God created us with passions and ability and gifts that he wants to redeem, not eliminate. He wants to redeem. He wants to bring out in you the things that, that you were created from the day you were born to do. He wants you to be your best self and free of all of the sin that, that makes it a destructive thing. He wants to use every single one of your talents, abilities, and gifts that you've been given and do it for God's kingdom. Um, last, uh, yesterday, I had a tough task. Um, I officiated, or it was um, a funeral, uh, for a student at Vista Peak Exploratory. Someone that passed away earlier this year, and the family decided now to do a memorial. And um, I, I was asked and, and honored to be asked to um, officiate and to, to share words and to share those thoughts. And, and um, uh, the student that passed was a very well-known student that was fiery and had a ton of personality. And a lot of the stories that were going around was all about this. And we were reflecting, I was reflecting with some of the people that were there, some of the teachers from the school, some of the other people, and we were all reflecting and thinking and talking about how, you know what, there's some times that like when you like ask kids to sit in rows and to like just be quiet and like, like not, don't talk and like you know, do uh, uh, quietly walk through the hallways and do your homework and sit in chairs that sometimes it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. And sometimes what happens in places like that is that people get their wrong impression that this is like a bad kid because we're forcing them to sit in a chair all stinking day and they just get ants and they want to do something else and they're creative and they're full of life and energy and all of this but in some ways, because we got 25 and 30 kids that you're trying to control, in some ways you're just like, sit down and be quiet. And how shameful would that be if we sent that same message in churches? How shameful would that be? And it's a hard dynamic and it's a hard world because, of course, I don't want people shouting at me here when I'm preaching either. But the reality is, is... God created us very, all very unique. And we all bring very unique talents and gifts that like, can do something so unique in this world. God did not want or desire for the sins that have been in your life to rule you or destroy you. But what God does do is all of those things that maybe 
is part of your makeup that has led you astray in other times. He wants you to use all those passions and the desires for something better and something great. He wants you to redeem those things and use them for good, not for evil. He wants you to be the most full and complete you that he created you to be. Not a picture of somebody else, but a picture of you. And that is something that we see in Paul that is unique. And something that we see in the scripture that God saw this person and, and appeared to him. And God called this person and said, you're going to do stuff for me. And you're going to understand what this is about. And all of this passion is going to be directed towards my will and the good instead of evil. And so it comes to us and we have to think about in our own lives, what has God uniquely given me? What passions, gifts, and effort do I have? What temperament do I have? Instead of saying, God, like, just help me to, like, sit up straight and listen carefully in church services. No, what has God uniquely called you to? Maybe you're that, that voice. Maybe you're that passionate person that can bring something unique and different. And you should not ever feel like I need to, like, hold back the joy that I have in my heart and hold, hold back these things in my life. But I need God for you to direct it and redeem it. And for me to be that person for you. For me to live these things out. What are you particularly gifted to do? What can you do that nobody else can? What is it that God instilled in you that is a fire that burns that needs to maybe be redeemed and refined. But it's something that God has brought you here on this earth to do. And that is the incredible story and backstory of Paul. In Acts 20, 24, Paul sums up his clarity of purpose. He says, this is what my life is about. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is what my life is about. And now I understand the direction, the goal, and what it's all about. And now I'm following that with all the passion that I ever have. I thank God that God calls people like Saul. That God calls people like that. You know, all around us, there's people in our neighborhoods, friends that we have that think that they can't walk into the doors of a place like this. Because they think that, you know what? Like, that's just not for me. It doesn't fit. I don't, like, I don't get... Doesn't doesn't make sense. I, I don't like sitting there listening to boring preachers. I don't even like donuts. They like donuts. Uh, but but there's people all over, and how sad it is. There's people all over that think it's just not my deal. And you have friends and coworkers that God has implanted in, in them some passion and gift. Maybe even deep, deep questions that they're asking and seeking. Maybe even like they're looking somewhere far and wide to have meaning and purpose and significance in their life. And they're doing it in all kinds of ways. And they just don't think they fit with people like us. How sad, right? Because God has a plan. 
And God wants to use all those passions and gifts for all of us. May we remember this story and see in our neighbors, friends, coworkers, and maybe even ourselves a Saul that's there that needs to just be redeemed. That needs to find a direction and clarity of purpose. That needs to find forgiveness and live out what they were created to do from the very beginning. What is that with you? What unique talent that do you need redeemed? What thing do you need that is unique? As I was reflecting on this uh, very secular uh, American holiday, Mother's Day, um, I, was, I was thinking about some of the, the unique people that have been in my life that that, that just did s- stuff that nobody else would do. That people, depictions of uh, examples even that we see like in scripture that on the cross, Mary, uh, when Jesus was on the cross, Mary was there. And Mary was there in that moment. That Mary, no matter what, even though her son was going through death and torture, and it probably was awful to be there and witness that sight, and she couldn't do anything about it. She was there. She saw the nails. She saw the pain. She saw the difficulty that Jesus went through. And there's something that I've seen consistently over and over about mothers is this, is they look at and they look at their kids, good mothers, and no matter what, They love them, and they just want them to be okay. And no matter what, no matter what they've gone through or done or the struggles they face, a good mother is there and cares about and loves their kid unconditionally no matter what. What an example. And what a picture that we get of what's going on in Scripture. That God looks at and sees all of his children, even the ones that are pouring out murderous threats on other Christians. And he says, would they be, if they would be redeemed, look at what they would do. God calls people like Saul. God never gives up. His love is unconditional. God desperately wants all people to be redeemed. May we have that same heart for people that we know and people that we come in contact with. May we never forget that that God has a plan for all people. The unique people, the ones that drive us crazy, the ones that are a little bit on the fringe, God has a plan and made them unique to do something for good in this world. And so my prayer is for us and for others that we would remember the story of Saul. They would remember this backstory and never forget that we should be people who also love and see people in that way. Will you pray with me? God, it's my prayer for each of us to understand and know how you look at Humanity, how you look at people. May our hearts be broken for those who are 
caught up in sin. But help us to never give up on others. Help us to never dismiss people or say that you don't belong. Help us instead, God, to be a part of what you're doing and say, God, point, help us to point people in the right direction towards a loving, forgiving God that has a plan and purpose for their lives. God, sometimes if we just struggle and think that, why did you make me this way? And maybe I just need to like get in line. And God, help us instead to look towards redemption. Help us to change those dark sides of our personality into strengths. And help us to use all the God-given passion and abilities that you've given us for good. God, today my prayers are for those who feel like places like this are not for them. Who look at a group of people sitting around singing songs and reading old, old passages and old Bible verses as out of date, clueless. And God, I pray that you would help us to change that perspective. For us to let people know that no, God is alive and God is doing something and God has a place for you. God, I pray for and think about the kids that are among us that run around and sometimes are wild. God, help us to have love and compassion for them, even when sometimes it's just too much to handle. Help us to see people through your eyes. And help love to overflow in our hearts like a good mother looks at her kids. Thank you, God, that you call the souls of this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name.